0: So like I said uh, in the beginning, we are going to be talking about how to withstand deception this morning, how to protect ourselves from being deceived. And so I'm not entirely sure who was the deceiver or who was being deceived in this, but uh, apparently in uh, 2014, Red Bull was sued for its slogan, Red Bull gives you wings. Um, Not entirely sure how to pronounce this guy's name, but... uh, Beganen Karathas Beganen was one of several consumers who brought the case against Austrian, the Austrian drinks company. He said he was a regular consumer of Red Bull for 10 years, but that he, he had not developed wings or shown any signs of improved intellectual or physical abilities. So basically he's saying, hey Red Bull, listen, I've been a, a faithful consumer of your beverage for 10 years, but I ain't got no wings, I'm not even smarter, to which we would go, do but now, now you would think, now you would think Red Bull being the company that it is, they would have certain strategies in place uh, to withstand this deception, or at least be able to go, "Listen, dude, we see you right through you. All you want is more money." But this is what Red Bull did. The company settled the class action case by agreeing to pay out a maximum of $13 million, and then listen to this, including $10 to every US consumer who had bought the drink since 2002. The article goes on to say, however, Red Bull maintains that its marketing and labeling has always been truthful and accurate and denies any and all wrongdoing or liability, which makes me confused. Are they saying it will give you wings? Anyway. Now, in the same way, to kind of bridge the gap, in the same way, these false teachers uh, in Colossians, I still believe today, are going around saying, hey, Christians, come on, you, you need to wake up. You can't exclusively believe in Jesus. That's, that's kind of like the most narrow-minded thing that I have ever heard. How on earth can you expect to be in heaven one day, in glory one day, by believing in one man who claimed to be the Son of God? no, no, come on, we've got the true truth. You need to come and listen to us. You need to believe what we believe and you need to practice what we practice. And Paul's whole argument, so far through the book of Colossians, he's he's saying, no, no, Jesus really is enough. Jesus really is enough for, for your life, for death and for being in glory one day. To add anything to the gospel To add anything to the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us is to falsify it. To take anything away from the gospel is to falsify it. But now deception is sneaky. That's why it's called deception. It's it's lies covered in or covered up or concealed as truth. And in our text, which we're going to see in a minute, Paul says this. Do not be deluded by plausible arguments. Don't be deceived by these likely or these probable or these even attractive ideas. Because how many times do we walk away from something and go, Phew, "That that sounded quite convincing. That sounded almost likely. It it sounds logical." And so if that's the case, how do we as Christians withstand these plausible yet very deceptive ideas and opinions? Because this is is so important. What you believe about Jesus, you will live out. What you believe, either subconsciously or consciously, if you believe that Jesus is not enough, it will be reflected in your life. It will influence your personal relationship with Jesus, and that then has a trickle-down effect onto every other aspect of your life, your marriage, your singleness, your work, the way you work, the way you, you parent, because we will always live out what we believe. And so let's make sure we know how to then withstand deception. So I want you grab your Bibles from your chair pockets or click on your app, or you're welcome to follow on the screen above me Um, But I want you to see God's word for for yourself the whole time while we're going through this so that you know that I'm not deceiving you. But it's Colossians chapter 2 from verses 1 to 7. So we finally hit chapter 2. And uh, Paul continues and he says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. "...that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." And here we go. "...I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments." For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull out three ways from this text how we can withstand deception, protect ourselves from being deceived. Firstly, we're going to see this by being united through Jesus, by being confident in the knowledge of Jesus, and then finally, by walking in Jesus. So here we go. Point number one, all Christians can withstand deception by being united through Jesus, uh, there's this, this fable, this old fable written by Aesop called the, the Four Oxen and the Lion. I don't know if you've read it or heard about it. But apparently the story goes that a, that a particular lion would uh, frequent a field that was home to four oxen. And as soon as the, uh, the, the oxen saw the lion approaching, what they would do is they would circle up and with their horns pointed out. And so no matter which way the lion tried to get at them, he was always met with a pair of horns. And so giving up because he he would see that he could just not penetrate the unity of the oxen, he would then leave. But the fable goes on to say that one day that the oxen got into an argument. They began quarreling about something. And so they decided to split up and go and graze in the for the four furthest corners of the field. And then you know how the story goes. The lion returns and sees that they're no longer united and they become easy pickings for him. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jason, what on earth does it have to do with deception? Um, because it's a lion, right? There's nothing sneaky or deceptive about it. It's just a big scary lion. If I had to see a lion, I'd climb a tree or phone the zookeeper. So what's the deal? So If I had to take a little bit of poetic license with this fable, and I had to say, what if, what if the lion, realizing that he couldn't penetrate the unity of the oxen, what if he just whispered a little half-truth in one of the oxen's ears and then left? And what if that oxen began to think about what the lion said? And what if he began to believe what the lion said? which then led him to share it with the others, which then led to a conversation, then a debate, then a quarrel, which resulted in them splitting up, which then led to their fall. And so as Christians, we have been united by the cross of Jesus. We've seen this so far through our journey through the book of Colossians that we are holy, blameless, and above reproach because of what Jesus has done for us. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're still living in a field that is frequented by a very deceptive lion who comes in many, many forms. And so we have to stand together if we're not, so as to not be misled by this lion. Paul says it like this to the Colossians. Have a look at verses one and two again. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, here we go, being knit together in love. And then in verse 5, we see the result of this unity. He says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see or to hear your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. In verse 5 there, he uses military language. In other words, he's saying, I'm so happy to hear of your good discipline, like an army. A good army is, is a disciplined army. And he says, I'm happy to hear of the stability of your faith. And so it gives us the picture of battle lines drawn up against the enemy, like the oxen uh, united against the lion. And as long as the battle lines remain unbroken, they won't be penetrated by the enemy. In fact, they'll, they'll push back the enemy. And if we work backwards, we see uh, why their lines were unbroken. Because Paul says it's because their hearts are knit together in love like many strands of wool are eventually knit together to form a jersey or a jumper or after a downpour there's there's so like we've had this week there's so many puddles everywhere but there's some puddles that you can just walk over you know they hardly wet your shoes but sometimes where there is a slight dip in the road all the puddles gather together all the puddles unite and you have to jump over those ones you have to avoid those uh, those ones or you ruin your shoes you ruin your day And so it's a good picture of the church. People from all different walks of life, of being reconciled by the love of Jesus, which then transcends into a unifying love for each other. But what we learn from Paul here is that this is a struggle. And here he uses athletic language of of an athlete struggling or, or agonizing in their particular contest or race. And his goal or his finish line in this race that he's agonizing in is for the encouragement of the church, the unity of the church. He wants the, ch- the church knitted together. And there is a struggle. Because the, the gospel unites us under the lordship of Jesus, but deception scatters us under the tyranny of the devil. I mean, the fact that Paul is writing this from prison is test me both to the effects of deception but also to the fight for the unity of the church through the gospel. And so I think this is a call to us, this is a call to us to take up the challenge laid by Paul's example here or to take over the baton from him to struggle, to struggle for the unity of the church, for the encouragement of the church in the face of deception. And so we need to encourage each other sunrise, we need to encourage each other to hold the line, because we're living in a culture that is becoming increasingly more in contrast or opposed to Jesus and Jesus' ways and his gospel. It's very deceptive, and hopefully I'll get into specifics in the coming weeks. It's like that horrible illustration, I I hope no one's actually ever tested it, but you know that illustration where they say, you know, you put a a frog in, in a a pot of boiling water and it'll jump out immediately, but you put it in some cold water and you slowly turn up the, the heat, it'll, it'll boil itself to death. You know, so you put this pot, this, this frog in boiling water and it jumps out. And so in the same way, if someone had to walk down the aisle and say, hey, listen, guys, listen, listen, we need to start worshiping the devil. The poor old chaps just had a really bad rap over all these decades. I think we need to give him another chance. We'd be like, are you out of your mind? Are you absolutely deluded? There's just no ways we would do something like that, right? But what if we are part of a culture that is slowly but surely over the years come under the deceptive influence and lies of the devil and other false beliefs and opinions? And we say, oh, sure, sure, you know, it's just it's, it's getting a little bit warmer in here, but hey, I'm Okay. I'm doing okay. You know, subconsciously we think, well, you know, well, everyone's watching it, everyone's saying it, everyone's thinking it, everyone's doing it, and, and so if everyone's doing it, then it must be normal. It must be okay. Now Paul is saying, No, there's a struggle. Be careful. The pot is not a jacuzzi, the pot is a volcano that is about to erupt. And so we've got to encourage her to hold the line. Hold the line, guys. Let's not compromise on the truth. And then on top of that, we've got to help others who are in the pot to see the deception and help them get out. So a couple of internal audit questions before we move on. Number one, do you see a lion or do you see a cute kitten? You know, you come across a little cute kitten, you pick it up and you go, oh, it's so cuddly and you stroke it and it's, it's just so warm and you want to take it home and we start thinking, yeah, I wonder why we as Christians take such a hard line on sex before marriage or, or you know, Jesus is so exclusive. He's the only way to the Father. I don't know about that anymore. Or, or why do we take such a hard line on homosexuality and, and all of those things? You see, our our current culture, which I think is probably the biggest false teacher at the moment, the way it's gonna deceive us, it's gonna make us feel bad for what we believe. It's gonna make us feel insensitive for what we believe. You guys call yourselves loving. Your God's supposed to be loving. Well then why do you take such a hard line here and a hard line there? So do you see the deception? It's a lion disguised as a cute kitten that will devour you. Put it down. Hold the lion again. Or third question, what is stopping you from putting it down? Is it because you just don't know that it's a lion disguised as a kitten and, and we'll get there? Or is it because you love the deception? It's become part of your life. And if so, who can help you? Who can help you put it down? If you can't join a community group, who can help you? Who can can you meet with regularly to help you join the line or put your horns down? So point number one, to withstand deception, we need to be united together through Christ. But now the question then is... But how do you know, Jason? How do you know if, it's, if it is a cute kitten or if it's a lion or a lion disguised as a cute kitten? How do you know if it's a half-truth or the truth? Or how can we be confident in what we believe about Jesus so much so that we won't be deceived? So point number two, all Christians can withstand deception by being confident in the knowledge of Jesus. Now, I unfortunately never experienced this, but I'm certain many of you have because there are many clever people in this church, and that is walking into an exam completely confident, completely assured because you know your material so well. I would always procrastinate, leave it until the last minute, have to pull in all night, I would be so anxious, I wouldn't be able to eat, so my sugar levels would drop, I'd get all swirly in the head. And then while I'm writing the exam, I'm beating myself over the head going, Jason, why did you procrastinate all the time? Never going to do it again. And, well, never worked. We can't do that. We can't do that when it comes to our faith. There's way too much at stake. We need to know the truth so that we are not swayed by these half-truths. I I heard some years ago... um, in a sermon illustration, I'm not too sure how true it is, but I tried to validate it on, with Google, but I, I couldn't find it. But way back in the old days, um, before they had these fancy machines that could, they could uh, you know, uh, detect a false banknote or something like that, the way they would do it is that they would... Um, these, these bank tellers, the way they would train them, is not by giving them a whole bunch of fake bank notes and going, okay, now you need to study these fake bank notes so that when they come in, you'll be able to identify them. And they said, no, 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 forget all the, the millions of fake bank notes. Here's a true one. And you study the true banknotes. You make sure that you are so, so familiar with the true, authentic banknote. You have a look at the queen's smile, and you make sure you know where it fits in, how, how she's smiling, the, the lines on her face. You look you at the fish, are there enough dorsal fins? You look at the little turtle, is he there, is he swimming? You make sure you know this thing back to front, inside out, so that when a false banknote comes along, you'll know at the drop of a hat, That there's something not quite right about it. There's something a little bit off. It doesn't feel the same. Her smile is not as big as it should be. And that turtle's swimming in the wrong direction. And that is what Paul is after for the Colossians. And it's what we are after too. Paul says it like this: have a look at verse 2 again. He says, that their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love too. Now just hang on there for a second. Our three main points build on top of each other. And so Paul is about to tell us another reason why we must be united, why we must be holding the line. He says our unity provides the perfect environment or the perfect foundation for this to happen. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, In whom, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he says this, I say this, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So I just want us to notice those two words there, riches and treasures. Paul wants us to be rich, And so where is this treasure that's going to make us rich? He says it's in Christ. Why is it in Christ? Because in Christ is all the wisdom and the knowledge that you need. Now what he's doing here uh, right now is giving the Gnostic false teachers a bit of a slap over the head. Uh, In South Africa, we would say he's giving them a good old clap. I don't know if any other language or culture says that, but he's giving them a good old smack over the head. Our English translation doesn't pick up on it, but in the original Greek, that word knowledge there is the word gnosis, which is what this group was claiming to have and be. They were going around saying, we are the Gnostic teachers. We have all the gnosis. We have all the knowledge on spiritual matters and, and spiritual mysteries. You need to come and listen to us. You need to come and rely on us. And Paul's saying, no, 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 hang in there. Firstly, the mystery has been revealed already. It's Jesus. We saw that two weeks ago. Remember, Christ, in you, the hope of glory, had all the Tupperware. And secondly, he's saying, Jesus has all the gnosis. Jesus has all the knowledge and wisdom. Notice he says, all. All the knowledge, all the wisdom on all spiritual matters, is hidden or stored up in him. Paul is saying, Jesus is enough. You don't need anyone else. So to be rich means to be fully assured or confident in the knowledge of Jesus. That will protect us from being misled by all of these plausible arguments of the Gnostics and other false teachers. Listen, deception will rob you, but being fully convinced of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us is to be rich. So like in the same way that you can identify a fake dollar note is by knowing the true dollar note the more we grow in our understanding and our knowledge of who Jesus is, we will be able to identify false teachings. We'll be able to go, yeah, that sounded so good, but there's just just something not quite there. There's just something missing. And so the all-important question then becomes then is, well, how do you grow? How do you grow in your confident knowledge of Jesus? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jason, you want us to become these, these nerdy theologians who kind of eat, pray, and read our Bibles 24-7. Yes. But here's the thing. It's not about becoming a theologian. You are already a theologian. If you have any opinion, whether big or small, about who God is, you're a theologian. If you have any idea or any point of view on an aspect of God or what God is like, you're a theologian. You don't even have to be a Christian here and you can have a thought about what God is supposed to be like, then you have a particular theology of God. So the, so the issue is not becoming a theologian, it's are we accurate theologians? Or are we being misled in our understanding of who Jesus is? So yes, we're to be in our Bibles because God had it written down for us to inform us about who He is and, and what He's done, what He's doing, what He will do, and who we were and who we are in Him and how we ought to live in response to who He is and what He's done for us. But we don't do it in isolation. So that we know that we're understanding it correctly. That's why Paul says in verse 2 that being knit together in love provides an environment where you can experience the the richness of full assurance of understanding of Jesus. Growing in our confident knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is is a community project. That's why I keep going on about community groups just a wonderful environment uh, to be together in a Christ-like love for each other where we can help each other grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who he is. So to be confident in your knowledge of Jesus, firstly, would you fight for your time in the word? And then secondly, would you fight for our time in the word? so that we're not deceived, so that the truth will make us rich and deception won't rob us. So the next logical step then is, once we're growing in our unity and then growing in our confidence, in our knowledge of Jesus, the next logical step then is to walk in Jesus, is to walk it out, live it out. So our last point goes like this, all Christians can withstand deception by walking in Jesus, Remember that, that great little illustration Jesus gives in Matthew's Gospel of the, when he compares two guys who, who built their houses? So, he yeah, said, The foolish man built his house on the sand, and the, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and then the, the rains came down, and the floods came up, and uh, <clears throat> that's my singing voice right there. You know, and, and the wise man's house stood firm, but the, the foolish man's house went splat. So here's how Jesus sums up the parable. Matthew 7 verse 24. He says, everyone, listen, everyone then who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Is that correct? If you're saying yes, I've just deceived you. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be. A wise man Don't be sold out by 99 percent truth. you got to do God's word. A wise man is someone who applies God's word. The Christian life is about hearing Jesus' word in, in the time that you read your Bibles. Sermons, in the, in the songs that we sing, in, in godly fellowship, we hear his word and then we do them. We apply them to our lives. We live it out. Paul says it like this to the Colossians, verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So let's understand Paul's logic here. The way we walk in Jesus is firstly by faith, because he says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And so how do we receive Jesus? We receive him by faith. In fact, Paul commends the Colossians for their faith earlier in chapter 1, which is maybe, again, an indictment at these false teachers who are saying, you can't just believe You can't just believe in Jesus. The the Jewish false teachers were saying, no, no, you've got to do a whole bunch of different things. You've got to to obey the law. You've got to stop doing this. You've got to start doing all of those things. And Paul says, no. The way you receive Jesus by faith, that's how you continue living. And how did they receive him by faith? They were taught. They were taught the gospel. So you were taught the gospel you received it by faith and then he says it resulted in thanksgiving why thanksgiving because jesus is all you need jesus is all you need to be saved the penalty and the price for your sins past present and future have been taken care of by jesus Verse 22 of chapter 1, Paul says, you are holy, you are blameless, you are above reproach because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. As Christians, we should be the most thankful people on this planet. We should have a disposition of gratitude. Wake up every morning and go, Jesus, thank you. It's paid for. All of my sin, yesterday's sin, Today's sin, tomorrow's sin has been paid for by you. I'm gonna walk in humble gratitude. You said it yourself on the cross. It is finished. It is complete. I don't need to listen to these false teachers no matter how plausible or attractive their arguments may seem. Now look at what he says. He says, if you walk like that, By faith in the gospel, with thanksgiving, you'll be, have a look at this, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And he gives us two different pictures, which essentially mean the same thing. To be rooted gives us the picture of a tree that's roots grow down deep into the soil so that it can withstand no matter which conditions it finds itself in. To be built up gives the, the picture of a building firmly founded on a strong foundation. So we picture, it's not hard for us to picture, and in you know, a hurricane-proof building, it's being battered by a hurricane. Being, you know, we, we get battered by all these false truths in, in culture, but yet we remain. Both these illustrations give the picture of being established, which is what Paul says. I think his whole argument winds down to that phrase, to be established in the faith. So let's be united, let's be growing in our knowledge of Jesus, let's be walking according to Jesus, according to that knowledge, according to that truth, so that we might be established in our faith. Uh, Here's a picture of a, a bristlecone pine tree. This one in particular is known as Methuselah. Uh, It's found in the White Mountains of of California. And they say that this is probably the oldest living tree in the world at the moment. They say about 4,848 years old. So that tells us it's deep-rooted. It's well-established. I mean, there it is in the snow, withstanding all of the conditions being thrown at it. Then there's this old stone house in Scotland. They say it's the oldest building on planet Earth at the moment. They say it's about 3,700 years old. Also so well established. Having weathered all of the bad weather in Scotland, Gordon, who is here, he can tell you how bad uh, the weather in Scotland can get. And so that's what I want us to be like. Not old and withered. I want us to be established. Established, sorry, that might have come out all wrong. I want us to be established in our faith, not swayed by these half-truths, because here's the deal. What you believe, you will live out. You will walk according to what you believe. It will affect every area of your life. Deception and truth about Jesus will affect how you handle everyday situations. It's not just a nerdy theological issue. Let me prove it to you. That word walk can also be translated as conduct uh, or to be occupied. And so again, if we follow Paul's logical argument, uh, what we are walking in or conducting ourselves in or according to or, or what has occupied us or... Who has preoccupied us will ultimately determine what our lives are established upon or in. And so that's what we're after. If we can uncover that, then we know what we are to repent of so that we can walk according to Jesus and his ways and be established in our faith. So for example, if I had to ask the question, what are you preoccupied with? Many of you, in fact, probably all of our accountants will say in a month or two's time, work. We are overwhelmed by work. So Jason, are you saying that work is my false teacher, work is deceiving me? Not necessarily. But if work is overwhelming, what are you believing about Jesus in your work situation? The answer to that tells us what you're actually believing in, what you're actually walking in or walking according to. Is Jesus your strength in your workplace? Is he your wisdom in the workplace when you have to make these incredibly difficult situations, incredibly difficult decisions? Or you know, are you relying on him to, to help you react in a, in a godly manner when, when it comes to your boss or, or clients? Or if Jesus is a non-factor, then who or what is? What is deceiving you into thinking that you don't need Jesus, that you don't need to rely on Jesus in your workplace? Maybe for some of you, it's more of a relationship issue that's preoccupying you. Maybe your, your marriage is not doing too well or, or another relationship. Maybe you, you're walking in anger towards your, your spouse or a colleague or you're walking in bitterness or, or unforgiveness. What voice is telling you, hey, you know what? You deserve to be angry towards that person. In fact, you deserve to be bitter towards that person, and not forgive them. Now what happens if you start to walk according to that voice? What will your life be established on at the end of the day? Instead, we should be thinking, what if I had to walk in Christ in this relationship issue? How would that then affect my conduct how would the truth of Jesus confront that deceptive voice that is saying, you deserve to be angry. You deserve not to forgive this person. To say something like this, Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Rather, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, why what's the big motivating reason why he says as God in Christ forgave you it always comes back to the gospel sunrise but if we're honest with ourselves we can look at a verse like that and go it can come across so insensitive because we're thinking but you have no idea what I'm going through you have no idea what that, what that colleague said or what that colleague did behind my back. How am I supposed to do that? Because that's the other thing, right? We look at a verse like that and go, that just seems impossible. Hopefully, we, we look at a verse like that and we go, as, as Christians, well, yes, that's God's word and I want to live out God's word. That's God's revealed will. That's his will for our lives. But how? That's where the good news gets even better. Because Jesus came to walk the perfect life for us so that we, by faith, might walk in him or according to him. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what we know about ourselves and God. We, uh, being God's prized creations, created in his image and his likeness to glorify him, to live in a way that brings him glory, we turned our backs on him to, to believe a, a deceptive lie in the garden. And we decided to walk in deception, and that deception corrupted our hearts to such an extent that our default setting is rather to be bitter, is rather to be angry, is rather to, to not forgive than to forgive or be tenderhearted. So Jesus leaves the glorious unity of the Father and the Spirit comes to this world that's turned its back on him and he lives the perfect life for us and then at some point in his ministry his three year ministry he says okay that's it he turns around and he makes a beeline for Jerusalem where he is falsely accused where he is brutally tortured where he is nailed to a cross and dies, but then rises to life again three days later so that you and I might be forgiven. So that you and I might be forgiven for choosing the lie and choosing the deceived life. He dies so that the truth may be seen, so that, the truth may, so that this truth then sets us free from the ultimate deception of sin, death, and the devil. And now by faith in Jesus, we have spiritually tasted this forgiveness. We have been illuminated to this forgiveness. And it's this forgiveness that then gives us a new heart that is now capable of forgiving. That is now capable of putting off malice, unforgiveness, bitterness, and putting on tenderheartedness and gentleness because it has experienced the ultimate forgiveness. Jesus died for the truth so that we might be set free by that truth. Deception wants to rob you of that truth and therefore rob you of your freedom in Christ. No matter how plausible it may seem, no matter how attractive it may seem, no matter how logical the arguments may seem, They all have the same effect. They wanna rob you of your freedom in Jesus. It'll look like a cute kitten, but it will eventually devour you. Do not believe the lie that Jesus is not enough for your salvation. Do not believe the lie that Jesus is not enough for your marriage or to help you in the workplace or to help you in your parenting or to help you overcome your unforgiveness and your bitterness and your resentfulness, or that sin that keeps tripping you up time and time again. Do not believe the lie. He is enough for you. We withstand it by holding the line together, by being united, by growing in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is, and then walking in the truth of Jesus. Sunrise, we withstand deception by standing in the truth of Jesus and then walking in the freedom that it brings us and the joy that it brings us. Amen. Why don't you pray with me and then we'll sing our last song together. Jesus, thank you that, uh, firstly, you are truth. Truth is not some abstract concept that we have to go and find. It's you. We can have a personal relationship with the truth that sets us free, that has set us free from the penalty of our sin, that is setting us free from the power of sin, And then ultimately one day will set us free from the presence of sin. That's all in you. And so I ask you, please, would you help each and every single one of us here to walk in you, Jesus? To walk according to you, your ways, your word. Would you help us fight individually for our time in your word? Would you help us corporately as a faith family to fight for our time to come be together Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday or Tuesday after Tuesday in our flourish events, our men's events, our children's church. Would you help us to fight for that time to be in your word, to be in your truth so that we would continue to experience that freedom? Would you give us wise, wise discernment in this culture that we find ourselves in. We wanna be salt and light in this culture, but we also want protection, we need protection from it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.